Hi. Super pumped to be with you tonight. Super pumped to be with you tonight. I'm super pumped to be here because um, I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is here. I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is here. If he's risen from the dead and he's alive, then he's here. And I know he loves you, and I know he loves me. And I have a feeling he's going to potentially blow every one of us away tonight. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool if we like showed up to church and it was more than going to a service and walking home? That'd be awesome. I actually do believe every time we gather together, the very presence of God is in this place. And so I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for us that we will actually fellowship with God tonight. You guys wanna fellowship with God tonight? Fellowship with him. Share in his life and experience him tonight. That's the only reason I'm here. Well, that and, be, and, and, and I like being with you. I like being the church. I like being together. It's what he does. So whenever the spirit of God is together, he always brings people together. So that's why we're here tonight. Because we're gonna share in God's life and we're gonna share in each other's life and then his word and his power of his spirit is gonna join us. It's gonna be awesome. Let's pray. Father, our Father, who art in heaven, and that is not a faraway place, that is right here. The heavenly realm is right here, closer than the air that we breathe. We love you. That's why we're here. We worship you because you are the one and only true God. We worship you because you are our creator. Every one of us is only here because of you. We worship you because you love us so much. Jesus, we worship you tonight because you came and did everything that was necessary for us to be reconciled to God, that we wouldn't walk one more day on this planet alone, separated, but instead be unified with you, that we would experience heaven on earth, that we would have hope in the midst of anything that happens, and that we would know that someday we're gonna see you face to face. God, I just wanna confess on behalf of all of us tonight, we're very human. You know that very well. It's hard to understand you. (laughs) Your ways are not our ways. And I know tonight that's what's going to happen. You're going to say things that we don't like, um, but are really good for us. Would you just come out of your gracious love for every person who's here? Open the eyes of our hearts. We can see you. We can experience you. And we will walk out of here knowing you better. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Isn't that cool? The very first thing Jesus says here is blessed are you. Many times people will say that word means happy, happy are you. Uh, Studying this all week, I think it actually means better favored are you. Favored are you because something good is going to happen. Blessed are you. And that's what we're going to look at these different things because something good is going to happen. And then on the flip side of blessed is this word woe. (laughs) Like woe to you. Very interesting word to study because At its core, it just means sorrow. It means, alas, I'm like, it it means to have regret or compassion because of impending doom. So in other words, blessing is something great's gonna happen and woe is like, oh my gosh, something not good is gonna happen. And so there's, but it's out of sorrow and compassion. So blessing and woes. 
In every election, you guys, we have this. Every election, we have blessings and woes, right? Somebody gets up there and they says, if you put me in office, (laughs) you'll be blessed. Good things will happen. And woe to you if you don't, because the other way will lead to destruction, right? Isn't that, I mean, every election, that's what we hear. Blessings and woes. It's the Olympics, right? The Olympics, here we are in one more week of this. The thrill of agony, that was not what it is. (laughs) The thrill of victory. (laughs) For Jesus, it is the thrill of agony. That was a prophetic word, actually, that just came out of my mouth. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. But ultimately, guys, come on, man, what's tomorrow? This is Super Bowl, baby. And I, somebody goes, are you, a, are you a Bengals fan? I'm like, oh man, you know, I didn't mean to wear this for the Bengals, sorry about that. But, but, but literally like, blessed in favor are you, man, if you're a Rams fan or if you're a Bengals fan, that's awesome. And woe to you if you're a Lions fan. <laughs> Great sorrow and compassion for impending doom. You know, but here's what's interesting. Already, after the original, the regular season, already nine teams have hired a new coach for their next year. Nine teams have a new coach. And uh, their expectation, each one was hired with the expectation of blessed are you. (laughs) Blessed are you as this new coach because we believe that you have what it takes to take us into something really great. But here's one thing that's gonna happen for sure, for sure with every new coach that takes over this team. It will be in a new administration. Things are gonna change. It is going to be different than the year in the, in the coach beforehand, okay? Now, we're in this series called A Life Worth Dying For. And throughout this thing, we're taking the book of Luke and we're just looking at Jesus. And again, let me remind you what we're gonna discover. We're gonna discover that your life is worth dying for. You are so precious to God. And then we're gonna realize that Jesus and his way, and this is tonight, Jesus and his way is worth dying for, you guys, it is. Last week, we realized other people's lives are worth dying for. And ultimately, as we look through Luke and the kingdom of God, we realize that the only way to this life is dying. That's how new life actually happens. So today, this life that's worth dying for is called a life of blessings and woes, all right? Now, in our scripture, uh, we're in Luke chapter six tonight. In Luke chapter six, or if you, if, uh, in Matthew chapter five, in our scripture, this is really the beginning of Jesus' teaching, okay, in our, in our scriptures. Now, immediately, as soon, he, as soon as he started his ministry, he was teaching in synagogues and he was proclaiming the good news. But for us, what I'm gonna share with you <laughs> is like the first message that Jesus had for us. Now, we've looked at his authority. We've seen that he already was demonstrating power to implement this new administration. Jesus was saying, I'm bringing something different, man. And people were enamored because it's like, wow, this new administration actually releases people from demonic oppression. (laughs) Wow, this one actually heals diseases. This guy, when he speaks, he has authority. He's so different. Now, as we continue the story, after he's been doing all these things, last week we saw that he chose his disciples. Well, he began to choose them. We're gonna see this in a minute. He began to choose his disciples and he asked them to live like he does. He goes, if you're gonna follow me, here's how it works. I leave everything for everyone. (laughs) 
And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Now, after that, he calls Matthew. And Matthew's a tax collector. And they're corrupt. And people are like, what in the world? Who is this guy? Why is he calling corrupt tax collectors to follow him? And Jesus looks at me, he goes, because I didn't come for the healthy man, I came for the sick. That's why I'm here. And then he continues to heal and deliver through chapter five, and then we get into chapter six. And now all of a sudden, guess who shows up on the scene? The first time we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And you guys, this is the old administration. Okay, this is the old rule, the old guard. And Jesus is bringing something new in. And these guys are like, wait, who does this guy think he is that he can forgive sins? And then why does he eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And why does he eat grain? Oh my gosh, he ate grain on the Sabbath. Why does he heal people? I mean, these, these guys were so upset with him. And this is where Jesus looked at these guys and he said, hey, can I just tell you something? New wine must be poured into new wineskins. I'm bringing in something completely new and completely different. And your old way, you're going to struggle with this. And then Jesus goes up in a mountain and he prays all night long. And then he says, it called his disciples to him. And this is interesting. So he had a group of disciples and then he chose 12 of them to be his apostles. So we had a group of disciples and then he chose 12 to be his apostles. All right, and now we get into his teaching. You guys ready? Because I'm telling you, this is like the new head coach addressing his team for the first time. And he's saying, I'm gonna tell you guys, this is how it's gonna be from now on, all right? This is the new mayor, the new governor, the new president standing in front of everybody and saying, I'm in charge now and let me just show you how this is gonna work. Here we go. Luke chapter six, starting with verse 17. Jesus went down with them and he stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Fascinating. And then looking at his disciples. So let me just say this. Let me set this scene. This is super important actually. So it says, he comes down with these guys and he says, it says what? A large crowd of his disciples were there. So remember, so he's got 12 apostles, but Jesus already had a large, large crowd of people who were called his disciples because disciples were people who follow him, okay? So many of you in this room would be considered disciples because you follow Jesus. But there were also, it says, a great number of people from all over Judea who were coming not to follow Jesus, but to get something from Jesus, because they were wounded, man. They were broken. Their lives weren't working. And this guy is healing people. This guy is delivering people. He's setting people free. And maybe that's some of you who are here tonight. Maybe you're not actually a follower of Jesus, but you're here because you're going, is this Jesus like a real, is he alive? Can he actually change lives? Can he set me free? So Jesus is speaking and he's got this large crowd of disciples and then a grand crowd of people who are just interested in him. But then it says, and he looking at his disciples and then he teaches. But here's what's interesting. Even as he's looking at his disciples and teaching them, the whole crowd's listening. Everybody's listening. And here's what he says. Blessed are you when you are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now because you're going to be satisfied. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich because you've already received your comfort. And woe to you who are well-fed now because you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now because you're gonna weep and mourn. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, I don't know about you, but I just imagine that crowd kind of looking at each other and going, what? Who elected this guy? Seriously? Who does he think he is? I mean, so your way, this new thing you're bringing in is all about being poor and hungry, weepy and hated? And your woes? the thing that you're all sad about and are the exactly the things that I live for? (laughs) They're the the, the things that I give all my energy and time and devotion to? (laughs) Being rich and comforted and well-fed and laughing and well-liked and popular? I just see Jesus going, new wine, baby. New wine, new kingdom, new king, new way completely upside down. God bless America. Whoo, baby. But hold on, because when you look at this, what you realize is what is Jesus ultimately for? See, because he wants you to experience God's way now. He says, if you're poor, you can actually experience the kingdom of God. Yours is the kingdom of God right now. He actually wants you. He says, you will be satisfied. You will end up laughing and you will have great reward. Hey, you guys, Jesus is absolutely, ultimately wanting you to experience the fullness of life. And he wants to ultimately keep you from going hungry, mourning and being rejected. So his administration, can I tell you this is what's so interesting? His administration, this new thing that Jesus is bringing in is one of love. It's one of love, and I'm absolutely convinced because show up the next two weeks, and you're going to see as he fleshes out these blessings and woes, he's going to teach us more deeply what it means to love. His administration is of love. It's freedom, you guys, from yourself. That's the new way. It's freedom to love God and love others. The woe that Jesus is doing, and remember, the woe is a sorrow It's a sadness because he sees where this is going. It's an impending doom. He says the woe is ultimately a life lived for yourself. Instead of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and instead of loving others. You know, so I was thinking about this and I'm like, wow, so poor and hungry and weepy and hated and rejected and insulted. And I thought about football. Of course. No, seriously, for any of you who played football, and I didn't, I didn't go on great, but when I was in high school and I played football, man, in Michigan, most of us, everybody, how many of you did two-a-days when you played football? Okay, and when you played football, it was the middle of the summer and you had to go out there and I'm telling you what, man, you were being 
whipped into shape and you were sweating and I was literally puking and you were in pain and they suffered and I'm old school. They wouldn't even give you water to drink because you were a wuss if you had to drink water. That's what they were doing. If you're a professional athlete, what are you doing? You are training and you are disciplining and you are sacrificing. Why? For the reward. The whole reason you would go through all that hardship in the training and in the two-a-days and in your practices is so that when the game came, you could play so you could win. It was so fun. I was listening to sports radio on the, this week in, in, the, in the car. And Eric Weddle, you guys, how many of you guys know who Eric Weddle is? Yeah, whoop! I like Eric Weddle. Eric played here at the University of Utah, played professionally for 12 years. Amazing story. He's been retired for two years. And the Rams had so many injuries in their defensive backfield, they asked Eric to come and play after not playing for two years in the playoffs for the Rams. And the dude's making it, he's gonna be playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing story. <laughs> But in the interview, the guy says, so man, what's it been like not playing professionally for two years and then going out and playing? He's like, it was amazing because he's a pretty jovial guy. He's got a lot of energy. And all of a sudden he got super quiet. And he goes, I have never been in so much pain in all my life. He goes, seriously, it's nothing like my 12 years when I was playing. I could not move. He goes, every movement was horrific pain, could not even get out of bed. Why are you doing that? He goes, because I want to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> See, this is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you if now you're poor and hungry, if you're weeping, and if you're hated and injected, because eventually it's going to be amazing, but man... If you're playing it soft now and you're living for yourself and you're, just, you're rich now and you're well-fed now and everybody likes you. All right, let's look at this. Why are the poor, hungry, weepy, rejected people blessed? Let's talk about poor. Yours, he says this. If you're poor, he goes, the kingdom is yours. It is yours right now. What is the kingdom of God? It's the way of God. It's the way of heaven, you guys. What you are longing for someday in heaven, Jesus came to say you could be experiencing it right now. The kingdom of God on earth, experiencing the good, pleasing, perfect will of God in your life right now. But it's never gonna happen, he said, unless you're poor. Now, I've studied this big time this week, a lot of different perspectives. I'm gonna share it. Here's what I, I, I don't think that's just financially poor. Because there are some financially poor people who are not experiencing the way of God. So it can't be just financially poor. In Matthew, Matthew adds, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, in this culture too, poor was never just financial. Poor was anybody who was being marginalized in society. Whether it's through gender, through race, sometimes through having low EQ, people get marginalized. And because of that, there's poor. And I will say the truth, the truth is, somehow throughout the world in 2,000 years of history, after Jesus, socioeconomic disadvantage is often easier for people to turn to God because the ways of this world are not working. But I want to tell you, here's what, here's what I believe Jesus is saying. If you're poor in spirit, any, or if you're poor at all, you're in need. 
You are in need when you're poor and you have a want. And so if you're poor in spirit, what Jesus is saying, if you're poor and empty in your heart, you, you actually will rely on God. You actually want God. You actually have a need for God. He goes, and the greatest blessing you could ever realize is that when we created you, Jesus, when, when I created you, we created you so that you would need us. Not so that you'd be independent and go do it on your own. You literally are made a dependent human being. And so blessed are you when you are poor. Because if you don't want or need God, I can tell you this, man, he's definitely not going to be your king. You're just not going to follow him. And so Jesus says again, my way, this kingdom is actually leaving everything for everyone. It's laying down your life for others. It's love. And you will never do that unless you're poor. And then he says, because if you're rich, he goes, I'm so sad for the rich. He goes, because you've already received your comfort, is what he said. In other words, you already have what makes you feel good. If you're rich, you can say, man, I've got it good, man. I'm comfortable. Many times if you're rich, it's like because you somehow became significant. I'm significant. When you're rich, you're free to do whatever you want to do. And so why in the world would I want to give that up? And I tell you, man, this is the message for us in America. Because our devotion to riches can often keep us from living in the kingdom and the way of God, which is where I'm more concerned about other people than myself. And that's why Jesus said, can I just tell you something that's true about humans? Where your treasure is, your heart will be. And so if your riches and it's all about you, your heart can't, Jesus, God knows this about us. He says, your heart can't help but go there, he said. And then he said this crazy phrase, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so I, Jesus sits and he looks at this crowd and he goes, man, I'm just, I'm so sorry for you guys who have so much because I know it's going to be super hard for you to give it up, to give up your life for another person and for me. He said, money, money is a master and you can't have two of them you will only serve one and you'll end up hating the other. The rich have a hard time following me for I live a life of generosity and sacrifice. That's the way the kingdom goes. It's always others above myself. So blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. Man, be super, super careful if you're rich. He goes on, it's very similar. He says, blessed are you if you hunger, if you're hungry right now. Now, we know being physically hungry is not a good thing because Jesus actually tells us to take care of people who are physically hungry. So he's not like, hey, this is great if you can't eat. No, he, in Matthew again, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, hunger and thirst, you guys. Like this morning, right, we did our food pantry. Every month we do our food pantry. There's over 100 families who drive here because they are hungry. They need food. When we go to Honduras and when we go to Eswatini, we understand that when that food, that meal that we serve them, for many of those kids, that's the only one they are going to get that day. See, they know what it is to hunger and thirst. And then what is righteousness? Well, obviously, it's everything that God has revealed. It's his way is righteous. But here's what he said. 
All of the law, everything that's right, in other words, all of the law hangs on these two things. Love God and love others. So ultimately, you guys, you can say, you know what, you've got to, what you need to hunger for? He goes, blessed are you when you hunger, when there's something inside of you, when your soul thirsts to love God. And blessed are you when you hunger inside to give yourself to others and to love them. Do you hunger with a love for God to offer yourself to him? He goes, if you are, man, blessed are you because you're going to be satisfied, he says. Because if you, if, you, if you follow God, if you love God, you know what's going to happen? You're going to walk in union with God and then every spiritual blessing is yours and you're going to experience them. Right now, man, we're feeding ourselves with all this other stuff, but he goes, if you hunger after God, God will satisfy your soul because he's the one who created it for him. And do you hunger to give yourself up for others? Do you live for that? You're like, man, I am so hungry. I gotta go love somebody. Man, the reward, he says, blessed are you. The reward of being a loving person. You think about, man, loving people get loved. People love loving people. You end up having a community that you live in. And when you're a loving person, you are so free finally from yourself. Message I gave earlier this, uh, at the end of the year, no one can stop you from loving them. It's a beautiful place to be. And God says, blessed, Jesus said, blessed are you if you're hungry for that. But then he says, but man, whoa, if you're well fed. Oh, man. As soon as I thought about this, I thought about every time I go to a Mexican restaurant and they throw out the chips and salsa and what? I just can't stop. And you just keep eating them and they bring out your whole meal and you're like, oh God, I don't even want to eat this thing. You know, man, when you are full, when you are well fed, sometimes you're like, I can't take another bite. Oh. And Jesus says, are you well-fed? Are you so full of your job? Is your job so overtake you? Is your family so important? Is your recreation, are your friends? You know, what do we love to say in America? Man, I am so busy. I am so full. I just don't have time. I, really, and we say, I don't have time to get up and be with God. I'm just too busy. I, I, I struggle to get to church because I got, I got other things that I got to get to. I struggle to serve. See, Jesus is going, man. Do you guys know even the Christians around the world are like, oh my God, I'm glad I don't live in America. Seriously, they pray for us because they're like, you guys have so much. It must be so hard to be devoted to Jesus. And Jesus is like, man, I'm just, I'm so sorry that you have so much because you weren't created for that. You were created for me. And I know it's really hard. First John 2, 15 and 16 says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, which means I need more, the, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. So blessed are you if you're hungry, but woe to you. Woe to you if you're well-fed. And then he says, hey, and blessed are you if you're weepy, if you're crying, and if you're mourning. So I'm like, over what? Well, here's what's interesting. If you're someone who's poor in spirit and hungry for righteousness, I know this, you're sensitive to anything other than that. 
You hate whatever keeps you or other people from experiencing God. It's really true, seriously. This is, see, these aren't like four individual things. This is all like one person. So if you, if, you, if you are poor in spirit and you're needing God and you want God and you're hungering for and thirsting for what's right and you just want to love God and you want to love people because that's what you were created for, then when that's not happening, man, it, it, it pugs you. And so when you look in the mirror and you see your sin, it causes you to weep. You look, in, you look in there and you go, why? Why do I keep doing this? Why am, so, why am I addicted to this thing? Why am I so angry? Why am I... You just, it, just, it just weeps. And the scripture tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance, which means to change. And that leads to salvation. It gives you life. So Jesus says, blessed are you if you weep over sin. If you weep over these things that are keeping you from life. And then... I think too, when you see the pain and the suffering and the injustice in the world, you actually weep. You know, I, I just real quick, we were, we're talking with our staff and, and Kate and Kevin Lathrop were joining us because they, they head up our outreach team and they were just saying, man, we just feel like there's something else we could be doing as a church for caring for the world. And so we ta started talking about the refugees who are here from Afghanistan. <laughs> And we actually have some personal contacts there. So we were thinking about that and we were talking about and scheming about that. You guys can pray for us because we're going to start making some contacts to see if this is something that God wants us to do is to care for people who've been ripped out of their homes and their families and are landing in our city. Well, the next day I'm reading and I, I'm doing Isaiah in my own personal time and I get to Isaiah chapter 15 and chapter 16. And it's this prophecy against Moab. Moab was a country that was in, always in opposition. They were always against Israel and Judah. They were just a, they were a pain but this prophecy is against Moab and they're going down. They're going to be completely destroyed by an enemy and all the people are going to be refugees. And it just talks about how these people are weeping over this and, and then they are, they're fleeing and they're running for their lives. And then it's this craziest thing. Isaiah, this prophet, talks about these people who are refugees and fugitives and he says, my heart cries out over Moab. I weep as Chaser weeps. My heart laments for Moab like a harp, and my inmost being laments for Kir Hereseth. And I read that, and I just thought, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? We're having this total meeting about refugees who have been ripped out of their country, surrounded by war, Half their families are still there and they're separated from them. I have had conversations with this at one, one guy who's an Afghan refugee. I've heard his story. And the whole time we were talking about it, we were just thinking about, hey, what can we do for Kate? What can we do to help? And how can we do an outreach thing? And, and, and the next morning, I just realized, I'm like, I don't, why am I not weeping over this? Well, guys, we just talked about foster love. We have kids, hundreds of kids in our state who because of decisions of their parents in different situations have to get ripped and separated from their moms and their dads and have no place to go. And how many of how do we weep over that? And the reason Jesus says, blessed are you if you weep, because when you weep, you'll do something about it. And if you don't weep, you don't care. And if you don't care, you won't do anything about it. And he says, and when you do something about it, you know what's eventually going to happen? You're going to end up laughing with joy because you're going to be seeing people lifted out of despair and darkness. And I just want to tell you, man, 
pray for me. I have been down on my feet before God, my face before God this week because I'm like, I don't know why, God, but I need my heart to break. I haven't wept over these things. And so I'm not blessed yet, but I'm asking him for his blessing. Because he says, man, if you laugh now, and that's interesting. See, only time laughter is used, this word laugh is used in the New Testament. And it's actually a flippancy. It's like a, it's like a you know, <laughs> or, 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 or a haughtiness. And, and, and so can you laugh and enjoy your life while you're walking in sin? Can you literally continue to do what God doesn't want you to do as a, as a disciple, as a follower, and just enjoy your life? He's like, woe to you, sorry. Can you simply laugh and enjoy your life while others around you are suffering and hurting and destroying you? And 1 John 3.17 says, how can the love of God be in that person? So Jesus looks and he says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Because you will end up weeping. Sin will have its way with you and it's only destructive. And for eternity, you will either enter discovering you were never actually in my kingdom because you didn't follow me, no matter what you said. He goes, or you will bring nothing into eternity with you. He says, some are going to be saved, but as those escaping the flame, because you never actually lived and brought my kingdom to earth. Why? Well, because I was rich and well-fed and laughing and the next one and everybody liked me. By the way, you know, the only way any, everyone can actually speak well of you is if you live without any principles in your life. It's the only way everyone can actually like you. It's to truly not stand for anything. And that's where Jesus says, that's why it's a false prophet, because a prophet is actually of, of God, right? But a false prophet is one who's saying and living in a way that everybody else likes to hear and see. It's a double-minded, lukewarm person. And Jesus says, man, I'm so sorry. If you need to have everyone like you, because if people-pleasing is your king, then I'm not. But blessed are you if you follow me. And it bugs people who don't follow me. Blessed are you. Oh, you're going to receive an amazing reward in heaven. Whoo! That's a passage, isn't it? I just, I hope you can see Jesus, all of you who are his disciples. Because he said he looked at them. And I just want to say, I think he's looking at K2, the church that lives in America. And he's saying, hey, do you really love me? You know what's so interesting? As you go through this chapter, at the end, this is when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I know for me right now, man, Jesus is, he's just spanking me. And it's good. But he is showing me where I am absolutely committed to other stuff more than him. And he's just letting me know, David, I love you too much for that. I want to bless you. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be favored. So be humble in your heart, poor in your spirit. Hunger to love me and to love people. Weep over the injustice and the brokenness and the sin in your own life 
and in others. And don't just live for yourself. Don't get caught up in the American dream where your devotion and your time and your energy, can I just ask you, can I please ask you, what's getting your best right now? Is your earthly job getting your best? Your family, your best? Your recreation, your best? Or is Jesus getting your best? Now here's what's cool. If he is, so will your work and so will your family. So I'm going to ask the band to come up here. And here's what I realized, man, in, in reading this. This is, this is a, there's a lot of tension in this passage. And I think if we're followers of Christ, we look at Jesus, you know, because it's like, man, Jesus, I thought, don't you love me? <laughs> and he's like, yes, that's why I'm telling you this. Because if I don't tell you this and you just continue to live in the ways of the world, it's not going to end up good for you. Yeah, but Jesus, man, I know you say you love me, but come on, man, don't some of you, I do, do you feel like I can't do this? Like this, I don't know how to do this, Jesus. I don't know how. How do I not get caught up in the world? How do I not get caught up in wanting just to feel good and have lots of stuff and be free to do whatever I want to do? How do I do this? You know, it's interesting. As many times when we hear messages like this, we, we actually... We almost want to separate ourselves from God. I don't know. Maybe some of you are like, oh, crap, why'd I come tonight? And, and some of you might want to, or you might feel shame because you know you're just going to be, Jesus has exposed your heart. And, and, and we want to just get away from, and it's what happened last week. It's what Peter said. What did Peter say when Jesus revealed his glory? He said, get away from me, Jesus, because I'm a sinful man. I just want to encourage you, don't pull away from Jesus right now. Yes, passages like this reveal we are so not like him, but instead of, instead of shame, you guys, we stand in grace. We stand as dearly loved children of God. This song is amazing, and it's gonna give you a chance. I just want you to wrestle with it. The first half of the song is our cry out to God. God, I know you say you love me, but I just don't know if I can do this. But the second half of the song, watch for the change, is actually the voice of Jesus coming back and encouraging every one of us in this room how much he loves us, okay? I want you right now, wrestle with the reality of your heart. Lay it before God and then allow him to start to touch it, okay? Let's listen to this.